We are back for another episode of the 212 Podcast with another special guest to talk us through the arts and entertainment industry. Our next guest on the podcast is an award-winning record producer, a mixing engineer and an audio engineer. She is an indie magician lifting the room with more music tricks up her sleeve than Harry Houdini. She has worked with the staples of the industry and the upcoming, including artists such as Alanis Morissette, Foles, The Killers, Local Natives, Wolf Alice and Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. She has also won the Music Producers Guild Breakthrough Producer of the Year in 2016 and Producer of the Year in 2018, as well as Heavy Music Awards Producer of the Year in 2020. Please welcome to the podcast, Catherine Marks. How are you and where are you today, Catherine? Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very well, and I am currently in London. It's morning, and the sun is actually out for a change. It's gorgeous here. That is the only day that that's going to happen this year as well, so enjoy that, won't you? <laughs> it's actually been consistently beautiful. I mean, isn't that sort of a classic thing for, for Londoners to talk about, like the weather? A hundred percent. And I'm assuming it's 12 degrees and everyone's like, yes, this is this is it. Beach weather. Yeah. Let's get down yeah. to Brighton, <laughs> have a down the beach. I was actually going to ask you about that. So, so yeah. you, I mean, you were in you were in Malibu before when we were trying to get this episode done as well. And and yeah. a lot of your work's in London. That's where you are now. But you were born in Melbourne. Where did it all start in the music industry for you? Well, I guess London, really. I mean, I I never really had any experience in the music industry in Australia. I played an instrument at school. I played piano. I played in bands after school. Uh, I went to Ireland, and that's sort of how I met Flood, and I was introduced to a lot of people in the music industry, a lot of artists and bands, and that's where I met Flood, who was a record producer. But, yeah, not, my first introduction was June 11th, 2005 and walked into the studio and had no idea what I was doing. And how how old were you at the time then? 25. Yeah, right. So what, so what feels like home for you now? Like, does London kind of, you've been there for enough time now that that kind of feels like home or are you kind of in limbo? It's not limbo. I just feel like they're both my, Melbourne and London are both my homes. I have, you know, wonderful old friends back home in Melbourne, but I have, you know, a wonderful career here and and wonderful friends in the industry over here. Uh, and obviously I've been here for 16 years now, so met a lot of awesome people. Yeah, it's they're very different. I try and get back home as much as possible, though, to Melbourne. But that so dreaded, dread, dreaded C words probably uh, not helped that for the last two years. No, I actually managed to get back last year, but I had to quarantine in Darwin. And it was just, I went because Australia was opened up and the second week of quarantine, Australia closed down again. <laughs> so Isn't that sod's, sod's law? We literally, we, we went from Melbourne to Queensland for one trip and we, it was literally like two days of pure joy. And then the third day was lockdown again. And we were like, oh God, can't get out of it. I know, I know. And I, so I was essentially in, lock, in lockdown for because I got back to London last October or November for two years, since March uh, 2020, yeah. So, so yeah, you, I, I mean, you like we were saying, you, I mean, you've been there for, for a number of years now, so, I mean, that's a significant amount of, of your time that's, that's, that's been spent 
with your career in the UK, and I'm, I'm assuming, obviously, across across the pond as well in, in, in the US as well. But yeah. um, I remember listening to Jordan Rakai on, on SoundCloud. He moved to the UK and has gone from kind of strength to strength. And I've, I've seen a lot of producers that have kind of taken that leap from Australia and moved over to different countries. Did moving away kind of, I mean, you said you kind of started in the UK, but did moving away kind of accelerate that for you? Did you need to move away to to try and get an opportunity in the in the roles that you were doing? Look, I don't know. I, I mean, my only experience working in a studio in Melbourne was I had some friends who had their own, like, little home studios, you know, out the back in the shed. Or I was in a band called The Harlocks and we got a grant from the government to record an album. So I was in the studio but not as a uh, engineer you know, I was not in that role. I was in the role of, a, of an artist. But I think I might have asked one or two people, you know, would I be able to get a job at a studio? And they're just like, there's just not that many, you know, it's too hard. It's too hard. And then I thought if I didn't get this opportunity in the UK, I would go to SAE or something. But that also felt too hard. So weirdly, the easiest option felt like to have to get an opportunity was to to move to the UK, but honestly, I because as a, I was an architect before I started doing this, and I was working for a really great firm. It, it working in the music industry was something that I was curious about. So I think both myself and the firm that I was working for at the time were thinking, you know, go over there and get it out of your system. So I was sort of I was thinking I'd be back in Australia after six months. It was never supposed to be a permanent thing in my mind. Meanwhile, 16 years later, I'm still here. Uh, and and that that's one of the things that was going to go go on to as well. I mean, we, we, knowing that you you did start, study architecture, but I think knowing that you studied that it is a it is a technical profession as well. So yeah, as is what you do now. Do you know what I mean? You you really do have to kind of know the intricacies of music. Yeah. And can you can you think of any discipline or, or something that you've learned in architecture that you've taken into the music career, maybe something to do with like the, 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 as I say, like the discipline of having to make sure that everything is kind of thoroughly done. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I love systems. So in just in terms of like general file management of my pro tool sessions or something like that, you know, I'm pretty organized. I mean, that sort of helps on one level, but I think the kind of idea, more sort of conceptual idea of of building something, of creating something, of and I am very visual when it comes to how I think about or my process of creating music. So often I'm thinking about how something looks uh, and feels spatially and three-dimensionally, and I wonder if that has to do with, you know, studying architecture. Or, may, or whether that was just always my brain, I'm not sure. But, it, yeah, definitely I feel sometimes like songs are like maths problems you need to solve. There is a lot of maths involved actually and it's constructing something and I do see it as a 3D thing even though it's not. <laughs> I like to think of it as something that is quite tangible, something that you can touch even though it's something that you're listening to. 
Is it is it kind of like I mean you mentioned your, the gut there you know like is a lot of it a feeling based I mean you 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 have to kind of go with what you've what you feel in 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 your gut when it comes to these these things of music. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of interviews and podcasts recently and I've had to kind of solidify what you know what it is that I think that I do. You know, if some people say what is it what does a producer do? I mean I can't really answer that. I don't know how to answer that because I feel like it's so many different roles. I'm refining that more and more. But I think I'm starting to kind of analyse more my process, which I've never really had to do before because it is just something that, you know, I go in and do. And, yeah, I think feeling is so much to do with my process. And I'm sure with so many other people's as well. It's, it is an instinct thing. Knowing when something feels right, you're re- and you're ready to to kind of park it and leave it there because you know it's sort of reached its moment, or you have that feeling where you this is. I always talk about uh, when I did Moaning Lisa's Smile for Wolf Alice. Just remember that after they'd sort of done a particular take, just remember thinking, "My God, this feels amazing. There's something really special about this." And it's not something you can put on your CV either. You can't put on your CV, trust my gut, you know? Like, yeah. it's, uh, it's it's really difficult, isn't it? Has good feelings about things. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's it. My, my instinct is my best my best quality. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't translate, but, I mean, it, it, is, it is based around that as well. Yeah. I mean, I look, so many of my other peers, you know, have similar qualities. But the funny thing is we're always constantly – doubting ourselves so it's this horrific kind of roller coaster of extreme confidence to crippling self-doubt on a daily basis and then back again and And that's to do with your instincts and 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 feeling a hundred percent and one of the things that i think is not necessarily uncommon for producers is similar to what you've just said as well is that you know, a lot of producers actually start by studying, you know, instruments such as piano or coming from an yeah. orchestral background. I mean, you did that when at a young age. I mean, how important do you think that was in your career now? Like you think of what, because it is kind of, it goes back to ground zero, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it's made, it's helped massively. I mean, it was definitely playing piano or sort of being involved in any songwriting wasn't, a discipline that I was focusing on when I first started because obviously I was trying to pick up the technical side of everything. But I think definitely when I started producing, understanding chords and being able to communicate in that kind of language I think has really helped. And then also in songwriting, obviously, but I'm definitely not as good as I used to be. I wish I was. There are some people I work with who I'm like so blown away by. I can just play a C chord. (laughs) (laughs) i mean you say you you, i mean you say that you i mean you you are you are an award-winning producer like there's no there's no getting away from that but i mean you you mentioned earlier with with flood as well you met grammy award-winning producer flood at uh, a nick cave concert in dublin uh how important was was that for you in in terms of taking you up in that trajectory i mean my god that was like my sliding doors moment i think because I don't think if I hadn't have met him, I wouldn't be in this position at all. But also I hounded him for many years to kind of let me come and work for him. Naturally. But meeting him, I mean, it was just such a funny thing. I mean, he's, he's a lot older than I am and 
I was at the time I was 21 and just such so shameless in kind of seeking out opportunities or or tr- or befriending people because I was living I was living in Ireland and I didn't really know anyone so I would just make try and make friends with everyone not knowing what they did or you know that was sort of irrelevant but uh yeah I said something ridiculous and Fud found it amusing uh, <laughs> and then from that moment we became friends <laughs> and that's how all good friendships start <laughs> yeah yeah I mean but you working with him as well and PJ Harvey editors, they were they were some of the ones that you were around for as well and were a part of as well. So I mean, uh, that must have been, you know, that's a baptism of fire, pretty, pretty, pretty heavy baptism of fire as well. Yeah, and that's exactly how he would describe it. Yeah, it was. And did it feel big at the time, or were you uh, similar to you know meeting him and and thinking oh, I'll just meet anyone? Was it did did it feel big to you at the time, or were you like no no I'm going to get stuck in here? Well, meeting Flight at the time, I didn't know he was a producer and I also didn't know what a producer was. So I didn't know what that meant. Once I found out that he was a producer, I just knew that he worked in the music industry. And then obviously meeting PJ Harvey, she, I mean, I'd I'd heard her music and I'd heard of her, but I was sort of more awe-inspired after the project because you begin to understand how someone works. And I I wasn't, uh, I mean, God, yes, of course I was nervous. But it was more about, you know, head down, learn, you know, do the work, try and prove myself, you know, that sort of that sort of attitude rather than thinking, oh, my God, I'm working on something that is very significant. You don't realise that until after, if it is at all. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I think with, with – I mean, you, you're talking about the – having Flood as a a mentor. I mean, I understand yeah. you mentor people too now, and I wonder what you've taken working with other producers like Flood at the start of your career to your own mentor style now. Is is there anything that you've taken from what you've learned and kind of moulded it into your own way of, of helping others? I mean, I, I'm very different now. I think uh, back when I first started, which uh, was in 2005, there was a very different culture in training assistants. It was quite, I mean, there are still aspects of it which are still quite brutal. Stupidly long hours, no no pay, you know, if you mess up, you know, you just might get the silent treatment or whatever. No one, no one sort of explicitly tells you because I guess I kind of came into it thinking, oh, I'm going to be taught what all of this stuff does and how to be. But actually, it's ne- it's actually never like that. It's sort of do the personalities work in the studio? You have to sort of shut up and watch and and learn on your own. That was very unexpected. I think my the difference with me is I'm probably a lot more explicit. Like if someone kind of messes up, I let them know. I try and make sure that they're kind of honest about things that they know or don't know. Because, you know, we have a lot less time for there to be, you know, for someone to sort of be fumbling around with something I'd rather be able to show them. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's a, it's a tricky one because it was, it was very different. I also haven't, I've been, you know, for the last couple of years, I haven't really mentored anyone for a long time because of the pandemic. 
what came first for you out of the roles that you you have done in terms of you've got producer, mixing engineer and, and audio engineer. And do you miss doing one when you're not doing another? Or do you see other people doing one when you're doing another and then feel like you want to jump in and, and help with that as well? I got, I got asked this. I gave a talk the other night uh, and I got asked this exact same question. And I, and I said, when I'm producing, I really miss mixing. And when I'm mixing, I really miss producing. Because when I'm producing, I'm usually in a room with a lot of people. It's super collaborative, but it can also be quite draining. And when I'm mixing, I'm on my own and I can, you know, come in at 9am and sort of leave at 7 and be home in time for dinner. And But then I miss the collaboration and I miss the the communication and uh, and having someone in the room to bounce ideas off. So, but also at the same time, you know, sometimes I'll have what I feel like are winning days where things are sort of going really well and I'm feeling really confident about something. So I enjoy both processes. Have you, I mean, you've worked on so many now, like I was looking through the, <laughs> the roster of work that you've done now and it's pretty, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I mean, crazy good. Like in just in, in terms of, do you, do you get an opportunity to look back on some of those and then feel proud of the work that you, you know, how much of it is present and, and or looking at the past or how much of is it future for you? Do you know, do you, do you get to look back on it sometimes and go, fuck, I've done a, I've done a, I've done a lot there. Yes, I'm starting to, I think. And that's got a lot to do with confidence and kind of building up a body of work. But it used to be, oh, God, I couldn't listen to anything that I'd done until like after a year. <laughs> and then I'd hear it on the radio and I'd be like, oh, my God, that sounds familiar. God, this is, sounds good. And then I'd be like, I'd like turn to someone and go, oh, my God, I worked on this. Oh, my God, I produced this. Oh, my God, I mixed this. You know, it, sort of that, that's such a nice moment when it's a surprise that it, you like something that you've done because, you know, often it's not, it's not because I don't like it at the time. It's just that I'm so close to it and worried that I've failed miserably. Um, but I've just recently done a band called The Mysterines and their album came out last week. And I, and actually it, I finished it a year ago and just because of touring and, you know, pandemic and stuff, they didn't release it until this year. And <laughs> I listened to it. I was like, my God, this is awesome. You know, I'm listening to it like I wasn't involved in it, just sort of appreciating it for how awesome the songs are you know, not questioning any of the decisions that we made. It was just, yeah, it just feels really nice. And it went in, it was in the top 10 over here, which was really exciting. That's amazing. And and, and I mean, as I say, like in the intro as well, you know, you've worked with these these kind of established artists, but you've worked with artists that are, that are coming up as well. Is there is there any other projects that you're kind of most proud of like you're saying you're kind of like reflecting a little bit more now yeah. is it is there one that or some of them that, that kind of stand out that you're kind of most proud of mm. i know it's like picking your your, your favorite child but it is exactly like picking my favorite child and they're all my favorite <laughs> um <laughs> i really uh, i'm kind of reluctant to say i mean manchester orchestra i'm really proud of that but it's more because of the kind of team that we've built around that project and, you know, how we constantly work together. So I love that kind of relationship that we've built. And it and sounds really, like team culture is a massive thing with it as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's so many people involved and they're all wonderful and so inspiring to work with. So for that, you know, I'm really proud of that. Also, the records, 
always sort of turn out so amazingly. I'm proud. Is there, of is there, is there any tracks that you've done or, or that you've been you've you've produced? Let's let's put it a different way. Is there any tracks that you've done or produced that you felt uh, would have been bigger or should have been bigger because you 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 felt like this was a this was a uh, you know this was a hit waiting to happen? I don't know, actually. I use an example that I'm thinking of yeah. is I remember seeing Wolf Alice play in front of 15, 20 people when I worked at The Great Escape uh, one year, and now they are huge. I saw them headlining a, a really massive festival the other day. Uh, I mean, how satisfying is that for you to see bands that you've worked with to kind of grow like that? Does it <laughs> not like a proud mother, but I mean, it must feel like that as well. Oh yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, I, of course, I'm so proud of how they've, uh, how far they've gone, and so quickly, you know, on their third record. They're, and they're so amazing live. They're just yeah, they're just an amazing band. Probably similar to Folds as well. Just seeing how far they've, I mean, they're such an amazing band live too. After working with them on their second and third records, I'm all. There's a band over here called the Amazons. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. But I worked on their first two EPs and then their first two records. And I saw them for the tour of uh, their second record. And, I mean, I remember when the lead singer sort of couldn't really even look anyone in the eye, you know, when he was singing. This was way back. And now he's like the most amazing front man I've ever seen. He's like Josh Holm. I mean, it's that kind of level of, like, confidence i said to the management we've created an absolute monster you know he's, <laughs> it's just he's uh, he's one of the most amazing front men i've ever seen that's that that must be yeah that must be rewarding to see uh or that as well or just to see i mean there's some people that you know that that kind of have the same thing every time they go up on stage they're going to kill it but then you must there must be other others like you say that you kind of see that they have it in them to be bigger and then you get to see it you know a few years down the line as well Wolf yeah and um, idols is another one you know idols was playing at the same time as wolf alice and and idols now are they're they're massive yes no i mean it's uh, it's having been in the industry now for a little while you kind of see artist trajectories and it's sort of really lovely to see and even if i haven't worked with them i know other people who have or i know the record labels involved or whatever uh and it's really encouraging and also i don't think you ever know what's going to take off you know a lot of it is about hard work but it's also what kind of connects and i don't think there's any kind of is it any recipe for that maybe there is i just don't know what it is For people, for people wanting to get into the industry, that listening to this podcast, listening to you talk as well, is like, I mean, how much of it is is hard work? Because some of these, you know, you 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 kind of leave school and you think, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday, but these these kind of jobs, these kind of roles, you're in it for the love and you get a lot of rewards back, but it is a lot of extra hours, isn't it? Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's look, I. There's so many different ways to get into this industry now and the access to technology is very different to when I first started. But when I was kind of working my way up into the, in the industry, it was brutal. You know, I was starting as a runner uh, and I wasn't, I didn't really earn any money for years. And it was like seven days a week, 16, 18 hour days. And yeah, it, it was, I mean, you have to kind of be quite determined to, 
to uh, put up with it, but accept that that is part of it. And it's and even if you think you're not learning anything, you actually are because you're becoming, you know, it's sort of teaching you how to be resilient in a kind of potentially high-pressured situation. So, yeah, it is hard. But then, you know, I see some kids who kind of, they, you know, come up out of uni and, like, you know, nail the production and now are very successful. So there's sort of, you know, who knows? I just took, I took the hard, the hard way through. <laughs> is, it, is it easy for you to now kind of spot the good youngsters that you kind of see now? Or you look like you can kind of spot who's, who might actually have, have the aptitude to kind of carry on through it? Not straight away. I mean, I know that I definitely sucked when I first started, so I don't know how Flood put up with me for so long. But obviously, you know, I was very, I was sort of overly enthusiastic, even if I, I was a bad assistant. And then I just, maybe I just kept improving and improving. I think, it, no, it takes time. Because also, uh, you're talking about, you know, people working on my side of the industry, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... I would say, you know, a lot of it is about earning trust. So often, you know, we have um, people coming in and, you know, we're getting them to kind of make tea and go and run and get lunches and things like that. And sort of just even nailing that is really important and being enthusiastic about doing that is really important, but it's also really hard to be enthusiastic about that. So it's a tricky situation, but earning the trust of the people that you're working with means that you will then eventually get more responsibility. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer for others. And sometimes it's really quick and immediate. But, yeah, a lot of these things is sort of how personalities get along. And I always say often your first experience working with a producer in a studio is probably not going to be the best because you don't know anything yet, but your next experience will be better. And people will see that you've had a little bit more experience. Yeah. Totally that's what that, that as well. I yeah. mean, how important is it to to know people in the industry as well? It feels like who you know is is a massive part of it as well. Kind of. I mean, there's there's studio management companies and studios that you know probably get loads of CVs and you can kind of do two week internships. But we've had we've had two week internships where the interns just haven't left, and they're the ones that you know the ones that stick around just keep turning up. You know. Often we don't know who's supposed to be there or not, but if you're there to willing to help, then you suddenly become part of the team and then suddenly there's, like, budgets for you, you know, because you become invaluable. But, again, that's sort of a long that's a, a long process, so you have to kind of be willing to be patient and, and be excited about sitting at the back of the room for, you know, eight hours listening to the same snare sound over and over and over again <laughs> do you know what I mean and sometimes it's like and wait until there is no one left as well like everyone yeah. else goes and you're you're still remaining and you're like yeah I've still got enough enough in it for this yeah I mean pretty much anyone who still works in the building that I'm I'm based out of it's because they stayed you know they just kept turning up and even if they kind of left at five or six that, you know, that just having them there during the day was invaluable. But also we have interns who then, you know, because it is a nine to five job. So we need people there while we're there. And it gets frustrating when people do, you know, if it's a paid internship, if they sort of leave at six and 
say, oh, they've got to make their boyfriend or whatever. I'm like, well, I've got to make my boyfriend too, but I've still got like loads of work to do. But I mean, it's, it's, these things are really tricky. I don't know. It's, there's no kind of right thing. It's the same when I work with artists. I mean, these things are about chemistry and, and, you know, how you click with someone and, and then that sort of improves the working relationship. And there's no, there's no formula for that because I would always say to people, you know, who are starting in the industry, make sure that you're always yourself. You know, that's really important. I feel like most people I've met in the the industry as well really do have a personality, which I think is really important as well. Yeah. No, absolutely. I had too much. Well, ugh, I mean, my again, my kind of experience uh, I hope is very different to what other people have experienced. But, you know, as I said, when I first started, I was very enthusiastic. I wanted to know what this did, what did this do? Uh, And it was just sort of the wrong time to ask. I mean, everyone was in the middle of kind of trying to get a record finished and I was here asking dumb questions rather than saying, would anyone like tea? I mean, that sounds quite trivial, but it can get annoying, I guess. And once I kind of clicked that, you know, it isn't actually about me or what I need to learn. Uh, it's about what I can do to help the rest of the team. You know, I started to, I guess my my personality did shift a little bit and then it took me kind of a, a while to, to get that back again. I became a lot more reserved. I, I definitely put my head down and, and just oh, tried to do the best that I could do. And then, you know, there, there were periods of frustration because I was like, well, why aren't I further along than I should be? And I remember asking Flood, like, you know, how long does it normally take to become a producer, you know, to start getting work with a, a record label? And he said it usually takes about 10 years. And I was like, my God, <laughs> it's going to take forever. But he was right. But I'm a much better producer for, all, like, all the experience that I, I've had because had I gone into that too soon, I, you know, I would have fucked up and this industry is so small, so a lot of it is about reputation. So not only do you need to kind of deliver a a great album, but you need to deliver it on time and on budget and everyone needs to enjoy working with you. I'm sure that's like that for, I mean, that's like that for everything, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, but you are, I mean, it, it, sound, it would have been pretty demoralising to hear that it takes 10 years because you don't necessarily yeah. have to get that for everything. Um, some, you know, you get the opportunity within, you know, a couple in some industries, but 10 years, yeah. you, you're kind of like, oh, God, this, this is a slog. But it, but it, it's not like a sort of, a, you know, kind of a linear trajectory. Like I, you know, I kind of assisted for a year and then I engineered on small projects for smaller producers and then I would go back to assisting again for Flood. And then I was like a studio assistant and got to work with kind of amazing producers because I was working at that particular studio. <clears throat> then they kind of they saw that I was a great assistant, which then got me opportunities to work as an engineer for those producers outside the studio. And then I did a lot of vocal production. I remember I did stuff for Kelly Rowland and Placebo, Boy George, just I think because people liked recording or liked me and liked me recording their vocals because they felt comfortable. And then, you know, I started mixing with Alan and learning how to mix. And that became a focus. And then 
eventually got my own kind of little studio, would mix little projects, and then they would ask me to engineer or produce. And, to, and then I engineered Polyfire. I worked with Kanye West and Mr. Hudson. And and then I started, t- you know, taking meetings. And maybe I got my first ma- production from major label. Oh, two, it was 2012, so what's that, seven years? That was my first big thing, yeah. Were you, were you, were you in the room with, uh, with, with Kanye when you did that? Yes. Yeah. I was. I, one thing I think I found really interesting is, uh, I mean, this is pre anything that's going on in the last kind of year or so. Yeah. I, you, you, you hear your own, uh, you hear the own kind of media rhetoric of what someone's like. And my friend used to be a producer for Jules Holland. And I went to, in, in the audience, went to watch, watch him. And the persona of him on camera versus the persona of him off camera was, it was entirely different. He was, giving high fives to the band members and all that stuff as soon as the camera was off. And I, I just found that really interesting. Like the, 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 a lot of musicians, I think we don't give them credit for the person that they do actually have to play sometimes. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know much about Kanye. I mean, it was a day, it was like a 48 hour thing, but at the time this was in 2009. I mean, he, he was a genius uh, we did have to wait till like 4 a.m. for him to come in because he'd been <laughs> at a at a fashion week party or something, and we also had to sort of try and engage his attention. But he once you know he was in the booth. I mean, he was also executive producing the project, but we wanted him to sing on one of the songs, uh, and then he ended, ended up singing on three. And he sort of self edits; he makes it up on the spot. I mean, it's just blow it blew my mind kind of what he does but then we had uh, it was actually a really fun thing to do and mental because he was supposed to come in at 11 a.m the, the previous day when we had kind of all these rooms set up because there were going to be other rappers coming in and I remember uh I did I don't know that he'd had anything out at this point but there was a, a guy called Kid Cuddy who I was recording his vocals in what we'd, con- we'd converted a tape storage room which was essentially like a 1.5 by 1.5 metre cupboard. And me and, and Kid Cudi were squished in there and I was recording his vocals. I mean, now he's such a huge artist. But I, I remember seeing a song come out. I was like, my God, I, that guy looks so familiar. Oh, my God, I've worked with him before. <laughs> Just, yeah, it, it, was, it was so crazy. I remember standing outside at 6 a.m. with the, the label and, and Ben and uh, the management were just going, God, what a what a crazy forty eight hours! Should we all go home to bed now? <laughs> I, I remember seeing Kid Cudi come up as well, and I was thinking, this this guy's. I mean, not not that he's gonna make it, more that his determination to make it is gonna he's gonna make it regardless. Yeah. Oh my God, I love him. I love his stuff. I genuinely do. And he was like an absolute sweetheart as well. The fact that he was kind of willing to do his thing in a in a makeshift studio in a a cupboard. Yeah, was so very good. cool. And, and I love his I love his merch as well that he does. The the Man on the Moon stuff that he had with um, CPFM. You should uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's actually really. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. Love that that collaboration that he did as well. Um, cool. So you mentioned you mentioned Alan Mulder as well earlier. I mean, you were you were engineering, mixing, work on projects, Interpol, yep. Foles, like you said. How important was that for you? And, and I'm sure you've been asked it before, but 
how how different was it from working from Flood to then going to to Alan Mulder and what and did you have a bigger uh, influence on on either or it was just just entirely different projects that you were working on? No, very similar, but Alan and Flood are very different in the way that they work. Alan and I got along really well and are similar in our kind of work approach. He also kind of really loves systems. I'd also had about four years' experience working in the industry by that point. So when I came and started working for him, I was, you know, a killer assistant. And I knew what someone who I was working for needed kind of emotionally and from a practical point of view. So that kind of really, I had that at my to my advantage, which meant that it was very quick, you know, within like a month or something that he, I just started to get way more responsibility. And yeah, it was good. It was a, a really sort of good experience. And, and, and so many different artists as well. One of the, one of the things yeah. I was going to ask you is, you know, you, you worked across a, a few, a few, a few different genres as well. And, and, I wonder, do you think there's it, there is any crossover when it comes to kind of making a Deftones record or a Simon and Garfunkel record? Do you think there's a crossover or or is there nuances to, to, to both when it comes to the different genres that you work on? Yeah, I don't think there is. I mean, it's I, – I love all genres. I mean, I kind of just fell into guitar music because I think that's what Alan and Fudd did. But also they worked on loads of different types of things as well. It's kind of what they were known, I guess, better known for. But it makes no difference to me what kind of genre it is, I don't think. It's all still the same philosophy, you know, kind of trying to help the artist achieve what it is that they have in their heads uh, and help facilitate that. It doesn't matter whether it's metal or, you know, Indie pop, I love all genres. Yeah. Bit over guitar, bit over guitar music at the moment, even though it's having like a massive resurgence. I love, I love, I love it, but I just I'm working on it. Sometimes I'm like, no more guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yet to see some classical music from you yet, Catherine, aren't we? Are we? Uh, no, no, no. I don't know. It's uh, not yet. Not yet. Later. No, no. <laughs> leave it. Leave it. Wait. Wait till you're in your seventies or eighties, yeah. and that's when you'll start coming out. With although, it. although I do. What have I worked on recently? Where we did something where we were sort of heavily influenced by Brahms or something, I think. And then we did a like, kind of created a jazz drum solo at the end to kind of mimic what happens at the end of that movie Whiplash. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. Uh so love that movie. Yeah, but, yeah, there's like there's always like random influences from loads of different genres that go into the kind of music that I make. Definitely. One thing one thing we did talk about as well. I mean, you can get you can get a degree and you get a certificate, you can kind of run a marathon and you get a medal, but an award must feel different. The the awards that you have won, I mean, you've as as we mentioned, you know, the the breakthrough producer of the year, but also producer of the year. How was that winning those awards? I, I've I've seen I've seen your interview for one of them, and you kind of was you were kind of surprised but happy. But I mean, it, does it does it kind of cut different because it kind of gives you um, validation for the work that you've done? Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I think uh-huh. I probably at the time didn't feel like I was deserving. It's very Australian of you as well. I know. So dumb. Now I'm like, fuck yeah, 
<laughs> so it is I think definitely at the time that I got the breakthrough award it was when oh, there was sort of this big highlight on women in music and I was definitely one of the only ones around so I think even just from a publicity point of view I think it was really good to kind of encourage other people you know other women to be involved and then the producer of the year was huge because I think it was ten, the 10 year anniversary of the awards and I was super proud of the stuff that had been entered. I didn't expect to win because I was against Charlie Andrews and who else? And they're both amazing producers. But it's sort of those awards are awesome, but it is propels you to enjoy what you do every day more because it makes you realise that you think those things are really important but actually they don't feed your soul. What feeds your soul is kind of turning up to work and and being excited about the day and then and the people who you get to work with. That's kind of what's more important, I think. And that that's that's what a lot of people search for is kind of like yeah. uh, is it money is it yeah, all of these different facets of of life but I think yeah. exactly what you've just said is you know if you're going into work every day and you're really enjoying it you are in a very very small minority I think yeah I mean I do feel very fortunate and God I mean also I speak to Andy Hull from the lead singer of Manchester Orchestra all the time because we you know experience the same sort of thing you know like oh, I'm freaking out about this or you know oh you know I'm super excited about this it's kind of this level of support which I really enjoy with a lot of people that I I work with including you know the record labels and the and the management companies having kind of amassed that community from over the years of working with people that I find that really enjoyable as well it seems to you know there's there's a level of professionalism but also compassion and understanding you know that this is a creative process and I just find find that community really great I mean you you hear horror stories about the music industry but I guess in the indie pop rock world in the UK it's pretty good oh 100% 100% I mean one, yeah. one of the things you did mention that I know it's really probably one of the things that you get asked so often but I'd be remiss of me to not to not mention it but you did mention just then about um, not a lot of women in music at the time when you uh, you know when you won when you won your awards there did that feel weighty on you or did you feel any responsibility to to help because you are you are there's, there's a lot of young women that would look up to you now for, for, for everything that you've done and, and see a pathway there. You know, you people need to see representation of themselves to be able to do this. Did, do you feel a responsibility to, to, to kind of help and get more females in production? Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I was sort of an, a re- reluctant role model, I think, at the time, because I was still I still felt like I was kind of finding my feet. But... I think in hindsight, especially after all the press that I did, I kind of began to understand. But then what it made me do was educate myself better on what other people's experiences were. Because I had seen my, even though, you know, I cried every day for about three years, I'd seen my experiences very fortuitous and a very good experience. And I know other people had sort of found it really tough to get over the, whether it was like social or cultural or, you know, 
uh, hurdles that allowed them to get into the industry. But actually, sometimes it was just they didn't see anyone else doing it, so they didn't know that they could. So, look, I don't know. I mean, one of the things I would attribute it to, actually, is I think what happened was, you know, as I said, the the kind of indie pop rock world is very small over here. And I had been working with lots of different kinds of producers, and I think they saw that actually having someone like myself in the studio was – Actually, or as a team member is actually quite valuable and and nice in a way and different. So I think that prompted other producers who probably hadn't thought about it before actively seeking out women to train up, the, you know, the male kind of producers. And I don't think it was like a conscious decision that they didn't want women. It's just they probably, you know, there probably was such a small minority of people looking for those kind of jobs. So I think that's kind of So it was it, it was because they have a they cut they, they they were seeking them out because they have a different perspective. Is that Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that's what happened. And less so about, you know, what was going on in the media. I think it was actually I mean people like David Wrench, Danton Supple, Ben Hillier. I don't know if you know any of those producers, but they yeah, I remember at the time they were kind of actively seeking out having female assistants and people and, and women that they could train because they really enjoyed that experience. Not to say that it's any better or, or, or worse than working with other dudes, but sometimes it is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's no, just, no, it's, I it's different, different. It is a different perspective, isn't it? Yeah. And I think there's yeah. going to be less people listening to this that are going to totally understand <laughs> that. <laughs> That, yeah, that, that perspective as well, because I'm sure. I, I mean, I know I've felt like that in uh, at times. You know, I've worked with far better um, female managers than I have male managers. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Because there's a different perspective and a different way that people work as well. So, but I mean, it, it was a different perspective for those producers who I had worked with. You know, they yeah. they hadn't thought about it before, and now it was in their mind and I think that sort of it helped that shift and I know other producers who are doing that now I don't know whether it's an active thing or it's just that there there are more women I mean this talk that I gave the other night uh, one of the kids did ask about being a woman and I said oh, I was hoping we could avoid that question I said <laughs> looking out to the audience it looks like it's pretty much 50 50 which is really encouraging you know student these it was a group of students who I was talking to so I think I think it's changing, but again, you know, it's it's a conversation that needs to keep on happening. Hundred percent, and I'm sure that's not going to be the last time you get a question like that as well, because no. uh, you, I mean, you whether you like it or not, you are you are a role model to um to so many people as well, and and people just in general, it's it's it, it, you really are. So, um, one of the there's a couple of records that just in particular that I, I mean, you've got the 2018 with the Wombats, 2020 with Alanis Morissette, the the two um kind of fairly recent ones. How were they to work on? Because I mean that they. The, the Wombats just seem to have gone from strength to strength. Alanis Morissette's obviously, she's embedded in, in kind of pop culture, if you like. How was yeah. it to work with both of those? 
I love the wombat. I mean, I love both of them. The wombats was such a treat because uh, the the boys are so fun. And also, I got to work with Mark Crew, who's an amazing producer. He's done Bastille, Rag and Bone Man, uh, just to name a couple off the top of my head. And so I learnt loads from him. You know, so we were it was a co-production, and he probably has a more kind of pop sensibility, and I definitely had more of an indie sensibility. But being able to just discuss ideas and have have an ally on a project was uh, kind of in, invaluable. And, yeah, we just – it was just so much fun. Murph's hilarious. And then, and then working with Alanis, I was so nervous. I mean, that was such a real challenge because it was also a different way to work because I was working on the songs without Alanis until I went to L.A. So I was kind of working in isolation. And I found that quite tricky because normally I would, normally I would, you know, have the artists in the room to kind of bounce ideas off. But uh, also I was essentially kind of writing and building up the tracks and I had not really done that before. So I was quite nervous about it. Yeah. Um, but shit, working with her was incredible. She's ballsy as fuck. I love it. Oh, I, I just, I love seeing like any um, interview with, with uh, yeah, I, I love it. Um, yeah. Do you, I, I mean, you mentioned that, do you, do you still get nervous about seeing artists? No, I don't. I'm not, I, I'm often, I'm often sort of more impressed by them after I have finished working with them, just because you get to understand them on a more human like a level and then they it just they just seem sort of more amazing to me yeah yeah you kind of take them off the pedestal and then they become a little bit more real yeah when i i mean god when i i uh wasn't working in the music industry god i you know i was a sucker for a lead singer but you know as soon as you step into the music industry you begin to understand you know how much they are just totally you know, they're human beings and and definitely vulnerable and and infallible. And, you know, I don't know, it just it sort of takes that it takes that edge away, which is why I say normally by the end of it, you know, I'm sort of more in awe because of their talent, not uh, because of who they are, if that makes sense. Uh, did you meet any of your musical idols? I did meet Robbie Williams. Love it. Uh, He was the only one who I've ever fangirled over. It's so embarrassing. But I didn't actually meet him properly. I was recording uh, a band called The Big Moon in um, a studio in East Coast just around the corner. And uh, we were playing Happy Sack outside and the girls had just gone in uh, back into the studio and I was standing outside having a cigarette and – he popped around the corner. He's like, do you know how to get out? I was like, oh, my God. It's <laughs> and I helped him find the door. <laughs> I don't care how un- uncool it sounds at all. I, I, it, Robbie Williams, as a, an, an actual entertainer on stage, I mean, you know. you know that he's not got the, the most amazing, uh, well, not got the range that some, some people do. He hasn't got the range of Adele. But just in terms of stage presence, he actually is phenomenal, isn't he? 
I've never seen him live and I don't own any of his records. I just, uh, and I never was in to take that. So I have no idea why Robbie Williams is the only person that I've ever fangirled over. Uh, <laughs> it's it's inexplicable to me and I'm probably going to get loads of shit if any of my friends. <laughs> you, have to, you have to take that now, Catherine. Yeah, yeah I do. I do. Um, I do. Have you, how's your, how's your, how, how is your singing? Like, what's your singing like? Have you ever wanted to, like, sneak your own singing vocals onto a track? Oh, I do it all the time, but I can't sing at all. I can sing like a kind of high B pretty well. And I'm sometimes my voice is nice when it's, it's quite wispy. Uh, yeah, I just, I can't sing for shit, but sometimes I'll like, I'll go in and I'll do a scream or I'll do a harmony that I hear and then tune the shit out of it and just put, put it in cause it feels a nice frequency. Um, I was going to say, you've got the luxury of knowing how to edit. That's the good part. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. But also sometimes it's good to kind of remind myself what what the artist experience is because it's so, you know, when I go behind the mic, it's so nerve-wracking and I know that I'm, you know, this is not my skill set by any means. I mean, yeah, I, I really struggle. <laughs> I was in a special choir at school, if that gives you any indication. <laughs> and it, and it, it wasn't special for, like, the reasons that you think it was, you know, for the people who couldn't sing very well. You you got the you got the uh, the most effort badge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I sing on the I sing on uh, one of the Foles songs actually on Holy Fire. On the um, it's on late night. There you I go. Would, listen, she, listen out, people. We would we would we did it as a trick to see Yanis and I to see if when Alan was mixing it, he would notice. He never mentioned anything. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Given that what we've all gone through, we kind of mentioned it, like this is a positive uh, podcast, but I just, you know, how, how important is it to get live music back up in full force? Like how good is it to see bands and, and everything out there at the moment? Oh, it's so good. I'm actually going to see my first gig in ages on Friday. Who are you going to see? Uh, Lucy Dacus, you heard okay. of her? No, she's I a, She's amazing. Check her out. Gorgeous, gorgeous voice. She's from the States. But, uh, oh, yeah, it's so important. And it's also so exciting because I'm, I'm mixing loads of records at the moment and I think the record labels forgot that you wouldn't, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't mix a record when a band was on tour, but because it's just coincided with everyone being able to go on tour, I'm mixing and no one's getting back to me because they're all on tour. So everything's sort of just been pushed back, which is kind of cool as well. You know, it's it's sort of like a brand new feeling again, I think. I, I mean, you mentioned there as well, like uh, pe- people, it, I mean, you do this for a, a living, but, that, you know, you've also got to understand, like, from your side as well, is that this is this is what you love as well. So, like, outside of it, you you're, you live and breathe it as well. This is outside of it, you're going to see see a band, yeah? What's What's been your favourite performance, you know, that's kind of given you goosebumps that you've kind of seen where you were like, this is, this is unbelievable, those kind of pinch you moments? Oh, this is really biased, but it's it's when I saw the Amazons. Uh, it was at Brixton, end of 2019, and basically it was because every song they played I'd produced, uh, and it's you know that would be very because that was this they were touring their second record, and also I hadn't seen them in a couple you know play for like four years, so how far they'd come. I mean it was it was just and Brixton is a 
big, big uh, venue, and I was standing at the the monitors, the the mixing desk platform, whatever you call it, forget what you call it. and I think I drank a pint of vodka. And I was just sort of in tears <laughs> at the end of it because I was so kind of proud, but also like objectively blown away about at how what an amazing performance it was. Like, had I even if I hadn't known the songs, you know, it was just the performance as- aspect was so incredible. And what a venue to um, be playing at as well. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think of something else that I didn't actually work on that I saw that was really cool. I remember seeing Nine Inch Nails at Reading in 2009 and I hadn't I didn't really know much I knew like three songs of theirs remember being blown away by them yeah they're 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 still on my list actually I really want to go and see them and one you mentioned earlier actually placebo I'd really love to go and see them as well but hopefully we get Brian Molko over here soon uh yeah we're coming to the end of the podcast as well Catherine one of the things that I wanted to ask you and Maybe it's a loaded question or not, but what do you think you've learned kind of positively, I guess, or negatively, but what what do you think you've learned from the pandemic that you're going to take to the future, I guess? Making the most of life, trying to get more of a work-life balance. I don't know, be more compassionate and understanding. Mental health aspect of the pandemic has been horrific, I think. And the positive takeaway from the pandemic is that people who I work with, my God, we talk about it way more. It's a lot more out in the open. And for that, I am very grateful. Yeah. That seems like a really, really appropriate place to leave it. I think that's really great that there's um, there's more talk talks about it than uh, through, through every industry. I think it's really, really important yeah. to come out of it. Yeah, I agree. Catherine Marks, uh, really, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us. I'm glad we got this done and good luck in the future. Thank you, Dan. It's been a pleasure. This episode was edited by Podlike, the world leaders in podcast editing and production. Discover more great podcasts at podlike.online.com.